Good morning. Please join me in prayer. Lord God, help us turn our hearts to you and hear what you will speak. For you speak peace to your people through Christ our Lord. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12 through 15. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor the alien within your gates, so that your manservant and maidservant may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Karen. Uh, happy Mother's Day, by the way. It's Mother's Day. Did you forget? Anybody forget? Husbands? You've got 35 minutes to say you have to go to the bathroom and sprint somewhere where you can buy some flowers if you forgot. Uh, mothers, we are so grateful for you. And we're thinking uh, this morning, this is actually kind of a fitting Mother's Day theme. We're thinking about rest this season, and mothers, especially mothers with kids at home, know that uh, rest is something we desperately and sorely need, isn't it? And how fitting that um, whatever bird it is outside in some tree is just celebrating Mother's Day with us all morning. So we're going to have some some feedback, some stereo sermon this morning from me and that bird. Uh, we're thinking about this, this month, this month of May, we're thinking about the kingdom of God, and we're taking just little month breaks every so often uh, throughout the next year to year and a half to think about different aspects of the kingdom of God that are countercultural, that are very different from what the world around us tells us that life should be like. This month in May, we're considering God's unhurried kingdom. God's slow kingdom, God's patient kingdom, God's unhurried kingdom. And that's countercultural because the world around us doesn't understand what it means to be unhurried. The world around us is busy and frantic and hectic. And there are structures in the world that actually accelerate life that whether we want to or not, we're almost forced into a busier and busier and busier life. So now if you go to the supermarket... There's one register open with a person, and they almost force you to go through the self-checkout line because it's faster, and so you just, ah, well, it's faster. I don't want to wait in ten, a 10-minute line for the, the cashier who's a human, so I'm just, I'll just go. It's just faster. We're almost forced into a faster pace of life. Or this is my favorite. This is what I've noticed recently. Most microwaves nowadays have a button that says plus 30. Have you noticed this? So it used to be that you had to do a lot of work. You had to put your food in the microwave, and you had to shut the door, and then you had to press three, zero, start to microwave your food for 30 seconds. And now what used to take three steps takes one. You can press plus 30, and it instantly cooks your food for 30 seconds. 
There are so many structures, whether they're large or whether they're small, that are baked into our world that almost push us into a faster pace. But God calls us to live his kingdom life, which is a countercultural, patient, slow, unhurried life. A life that resists the urge. And I'm not saying it's a wrong or like a sin to press that plus 30 button. But, so this is a metaphor, obviously. But a life that resists that plus 30 button lifestyle and invites us instead to live a lifestyle that cooks your food. Kind of because like who, who's ever had a great meal out of the microwave? Right? It's fine. But God invites us to live a life like, like a pork butt that's been on a smoker for 12 hours. It's unhurried, it's, it takes time, it's a much lower heat, and it's so much better, isn't it? It's so much better. One of you actually was reminding me just last week, you were talking about smoking meat, and, and, um, and here's what's amazing, the metaphor continues, because even when you take a piece of meat off the smoker, because we've been thinking about rest, and you pointed out how rest is, the need for rest is baked into life, Um, even when you take a piece of meat off the smoker, or I would add off the grill, you don't cut into it right away. You have to let it rest. If you do, all the juices will seep out and you'll lose the flavor and the tenderness, but, but even after you pull that pork butt off the smoke, you have to let it rest. God has woven rest and the need for rest and the need for patience into the fabric of our lives. But it's very, very difficult to rest, isn't it? It's very difficult to lead an unhurried life. This is not only a new phenomenon, this is a very ancient phenomenon, which is why God gives us an actual structure to resist the breakneck pace of the world, and it's called Sabbath. So last week and this week, we've been thinking very specifically about Sabbath as a practice. And the next couple weeks, we're going to think about an unhurried pace in a broader sense that's not just our personal lives, but even in a communal sense. But this morning is the second when we've been considering Sabbath specifically. There are two places in the Old Testament that God teaches primarily about Sabbath, and both of them are different tellings of the Ten Commandments. Do you remember this command of Sabbath? Sabbath is not just a nice principle. It's not just a suggestion that might be helpful. It's not just a BuzzFeed life hack. Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments, number four, to be specific. And God gives us the Ten Commandments in two different places in the Scriptures, And what's interesting about the two places, one in Exodus 20, which we looked at last week, and one in Deuteronomy 5, which we're going to consider this morning, is that the Ten Commandments are almost identical in both places, except for the command to Sabbath. The command to Sabbath is different in these two. And that can be confusing, and some people say, well, hey, doesn't the Bible contradict itself and you... A very like elementary reading might reveal that, that it looks like it contradicts itself, but it's not. Think of it more like a prism. When you hold a prism up to, a, up to the sunlight in the window, depending on how you turn it and hold it and look at it, it will refract different colors of light. They're all there. And all of those colors of light are within that white light that we're getting. It's a full spectrum. It's just depending on how you turn it, you see different aspects. 
So when we see different reasons for the command to Sabbath in the scripture, it's as if God is saying, this is not just a a one little thing that you can tuck into the corner. This affects all of our life, and I'm going to show you how it affects different parts of life. In Exodus 20, God says this, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, I'm paraphrasing, because in six days God created the heavens and the earth and all that is in them, and on the seventh he rested. And last week we explored, what does it mean that, even, that, what does it mean that God rested? That God rested. And what does it mean that when we rest, we reflect the image of God in our rest? But in Deuteronomy 5, when we read the Ten Commandments, we get a different reason for a Sabbath. We might call it another reason. Here's how it reads, and I don't know if you noticed while Karen was reading, but here's what God says. He says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. That starts the same. Because you were slaves. And remember, he's writing to, um, to ancient Israelites. Because you were slaves in Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. In Exodus, God couches Sabbath in God's nature and in creation. In Deuteronomy, he couches Sabbath in the story of the Israelites in slavery and in freedom. Now think with me. This is an obvious answer, I know. I'm going to ask you a really obvious question. Kind of get... Get the pump, <clears throat> excuse me, get the pump primed a little bit. Does a slave get to rest? Israel, we know, historically, were slaves in Egypt for 430 years. You think the Egyptians gave them a weekend? Hardly. Hardly. And so Sabbath, the author of Deuteronomy tells us, is a reminder that you were slaves. You used to live a life where you had no freedom at all. Now you have a life of freedom, and so you are free to rest. You are free to rest, and you are free to worship. In fact, if we go back to Exodus, if you remember Moses, he has this very famous series of showdowns with Pharaoh, the Egyptian king, and Moses uh, put on his best Charlton Heston impression, and he said, let my people go. That's my best Charlton Heston impression. It's not very good, I know. And some of you who are under 50 are like, who's Charlton Heston? Um, (laughs) Let my people go, but, but that's the part we remember. There's a second half to the sentence. Let my people go so that they may worship me. Not let them go so they might be free. Not let them go because you're treating them unjustly. Let my people go so that they might worship me. The Exodus, the story of God delivering his people from slavery is a story, really, of worship. And by grounding Sabbath in the Exodus narrative, God tells us that Sabbath itself is a weekly reenactment, reenactment of God's dramatic liberation of his people from slavery, of delivering the Israelites from slavery in Egypt and of delivering us from slavery to our sin and the brokenness of the world so that they and we might worship God. The purpose of Sabbath really is worship. We talked a little bit about this last week, but we're going to harp on it a little bit more today. 
And I promised you I know that we would get to more of the specific questions than we will later on in the sermon that some of you have had. But Sabbath, you know, culturally when we think about Sabbath, we think of it as a pretty rigid, almost a negative thing. In other words, we think that Sabbath starts with a no. We think it starts with thou shalt not. You shall not work, you shall not whatever. And if you grew up in a culture or in a family that had a pretty rigid observation of Sabbath, you could probably rattle off all the lists of things that you were not allowed to do on the Sabbath. But notice that even in the Ten Commandments, God doesn't start Sabbath with thou shalt not. That comes later in the later commandments. He says, remember, he frames it positively. You shall do this. You may not work. You may not. In fact, one of you shared with me um, several weeks ago all the things you were not allowed to do on the Sabbath growing up. He said, we couldn't play cards, we couldn't go to the movies, we couldn't go out to eat, so we literally just sat around and read the newspaper, because that's all we were allowed to do. Well, if that's what Sabbath is, if it's just a list of things you can't do, then no wonder it feels restrictive, because you're defining it by what it isn't. It's because you started with no. But God intends for Sabbath to start with yes. It's a yes to God. It's a yes to to worshiping him, and it's a yes, therefore, to countercultural, even rebellious, rest. Yes, God says, you may rest. That's the good news of Sabbath. Now, it is true that every yes involves a hundred other no's, and so there are no's to Sabbath, and some of those no's, even like no, we don't go out to eat, or no, we don't whatever, 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 those can be helpful, but but that's because they fall under a yes. So think about this. And we talked about this last week, I know. I'm rehashing it. Every yes involves a hundred other no's. If you say, yes, I'm going to take this job. I've got this great job offering. Yes, I'm going to take this job. You know what that means? No, I'm not taking all those other jobs. There are no's within every yes. If you say, yes, I will help my friend move next weekend, that means, no, I therefore cannot go watch the game with my other buddies next weekend. See, every time we say yes to something, that means we're, we're inevitably saying no to a lot of other things. And that's not a problem. That's a good thing. There comes with every yes a bunch of other no's. And there are no's. And as we learn to practice Sabbath, we realize we have to say no to a lot of things. But we don't start with no. We start with yes. Yes to God. Yes to countercultural, rebellious, life-giving rest, freedom. And then all of the other no's allow us to experience the freedom of Sabbath rather than approaching Sabbath with the spirit of slavery. Because Sabbath starts with a yes and a yes to freedom, that means there's a lot of leeway in how we can practice Sabbath. There are several times in the Gospels, if you fast forward to the New Testament, when Jesus teaches about Sabbath or he has interactions, people are asking questions, especially the Pharisees, the very religious people love to try to trip people or trip Jesus up around Sabbath. And Jesus uses this phrase or one similar to it several times where he says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. He wants us to richly reimagine the beauty of of Sabbath, that it's not meant to be a straitjacket. It's not something that you just have to squeeze into for a day and rigidly sit on your hands so that you don't accidentally do the wrong thing and break the Sabbath. No, Sabbath was made for man. It's a gift. 
It's a blessing. If you look back to, to Genesis 2, when God creates the seventh day, when he rests, it says, and God blessed it and made it holy. It's a blessing. And to prove his point, Jesus even asks at one point, he says to these people who are trying to trip him up and accuse him, you're working on the Sabbath. He says, listen, if your ox, and so imagine like you go home and your ox, those of you here, if your ox falls into a ditch on the Sabbath, are you just going to let it sit there for a day? Because you're not allowed, it's the Sabbath, you're not allowed to work. Jesus says, of course not. You're not going to let your ox die in the ditch because it happened to fall that one day a week that you're practicing Sabbath. No, you're going to get it out. Sabbath does not mean you're not allowed to work. And that's the main misconception. I'll say that again. Sabbath does not mean you're not allowed to work. Sabbath means you are allowed to not work. Sabbath does not mean you're not allowed to work. Sabbath means you're allowed to not work. It's a gift. It's for your good. You see the difference, right? To say that you're not allowed to work is actually to make you a slave to one more rule. It violates the whole idea behind Sabbath, that this is some rigid, pharisaical, or puritanical understanding of Sabbath that says you're not allowed to mow the lawn, and you're not allowed to do the dishes, and you're not allowed to clean out the closet, and you're not allowed to, and thou shalt not, and thou shalt not, and on, and on, and on. Any sentence that begins on Sabbath, you're not allowed to, fill in the blank, is a sentence that approaches Sabbath as really slavery. And in a sense, in this ironic twist, then Sabbath, the very thing that's meant to give us freedom, becomes one more enslaving force in our life. On the other hand, if we turn the tables and don't say you're not allowed to work, but if we say you're allowed to not work, Sabbath sets you free free from slavery to work, free even from slavery to Sabbath. Instead of beginning a sentence on Sabbath, I'm not allowed to, it changes it to on Sabbath, I choose not to because I'm free. You see? On Sabbath, I choose not to mow the lawn. Even though my grass is is like a lot higher than all the rest of the neighbor's. On Sabbath, I choose not to do a deep clean of that closet. Even though I can barely open the door without things spilling out of it, I choose to practice the freedom of not having to do it. And I know, like, you need to do all those things. I still need to mow my lawn. And there's this temptation, this subtle temptation. Well, it's a day off, and it's, it's a chance to get more done, and why not? If you're especially, this is especially for you, if you're type A, Like, you love to check things off your to-do list, don't you? And you love just the feeling. I have have some friends who are so type A that if they do something that wasn't on the list, they'll write it on the list and write a box just to experience the joy of checking that box. And those of you who are laughing either are that person or know that person too. There is something about checking off a box that can feel really, really good. But there's also something about checking off a box that further enslaves you to that list, isn't there? And as a sheer gift, for one day a week, God invites you to feel the freedom from that list that, let's be honest, never really ends. It feels so good to check off that box, doesn't it? 
because we're longing and hoping that one day we will have checked off every box. But has that list ever really ended? Every time you keep checking that box, you are reaffirming, in a sense, your slavery to the list itself. It never ends. But for one day a week, God invites you to act as if it has finished. That's the beauty of Sabbath. It doesn't mean you're not allowed to work. It means you're allowed to not work. One author, Mark Buchanan, wrote a really great book on Sabbath. And and I just want to read you this quote. It captures it so perfectly the way he puts it. He says, the rest of God, and then he clarifies what he means, which is the rest, and we could write a, preach a sermon just on this, the rest that God gladly gives so that we might discover that part of God that we're missing, the rest of God is not a reward for finishing. It's not a bonus for work well done. It is sheer gift. It's a stop work order in the midst of work that is never complete, never polished. Sabbath is not the break that we're allotted at the tail end of completing all our tasks and chores. It's the rest we take, I love this, it's the rest we take smack dab in the middle of them without apology, without guilt, and for no better reason than God told us we could. Sabbath is God telling you, you can rest. You have my permission to rest. And if God has given you his permission to rest, then why can't you give yourself permission to rest? We long for rest. There's something in us that longs for rest. One of the reasons I know this is because I started preaching on Sabbath last Sunday, and after the sermon, I got more feedback about that sermon than maybe any other sermon I've preached in the past almost 10 years. And it wasn't even a good sermon. Like, last Sunday's sermon was a a generous B-, minus, maybe, probably not even that. And so many of you came up and talked to me about Sabbath, and you had stuff you wanted to share and talk about, which tells me it's not the sermon itself, it's the theme, it's the topic, it's that we, there's something in our bones that longs to rest, that longs for the permission to rest. You ask so many questions and really good questions. I want to spend a little bit of time thinking about Sabbath through the context of some of your questions, not all of them, but what I hope are representative. In other words, we just talked about the principles. Now let's talk about the practices and put those principles into practice. I got a real kick because I was sitting in Fellowship Hall last week and and, uh, I was chatting with one of you and you're like, man, shoot, man, I was really hoping to garden and now like I can't garden because of what you preached about. This afternoon. Can I garden on the Sabbath? Is that okay? And you can really apply this question to anything. Can I? Whatever. Fill in the blank. We'll use gardening as a case study. It's a good one. Can I garden? I don't know. Sure. (laughs) Honestly, like you're free. Remember, Sabbath is not about slavery, it's about freedom. You're free to do anything. My, My best pastoral advice would be try it. And see how it feels. There is actually an aspect that Sabbath is very personal and very individual. God has wired each of us differently. 
For some of you, gardening feels liberating. You love, one of you told me this week, I love weeding. That's weird, okay? But you like, (laughs) you love weeding and God bless you if you love weeding and if it makes you feel filled with life, then pull weeds on the Sabbath, I guess. I don't love weeding, so I'm not going to weed on the Sabbath. But if that's how God has made you, if, this, if gardening feels restful and life-giving to you, if you finish gardening and you feel filled up in your soul, then garden. And if you don't, then don't. And if you don't know, then try it. And evaluate at the end of the day and think, like, how do I feel right now? And maybe it was restful and maybe it wasn't. And then try something else next week or don't. If you're asking, can I garden? Can I whatever? Well, you have to ask yourself, am I starting with yes or am I starting with no? Is this something I kind of feel like I should do? Or is it something I long to do, I want to do, just for the sheer joy of it? And it can be complicated because sometimes it's the same thing. Sometimes it's something you want to do and it's something you have to do. And then you just have to to be attentive to how am I feeling Am I feeling filled up? And if not, then try something different next week. But you're free. Another common question is this. Well, what, okay, what if something else important, what if I get a phone call and something important comes up that I, I have to take care of? Well, remember what Jesus says. Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So do it. If you're driving home and your car tire, like you get a flat, fix your flat tire. And drive the rest of the way home. The Sabbath was made for man. It's a gift. But that does actually bring up kind of obliquely another important point, which is there, there is some structure and rigidity that supports Sabbath, that makes it more helpful. I'll tell you, in our family, just in the past month, month and a half, We've been thinking more about this and having Jamie and I have been having a lot of conversations of how do, we, how do we be more intentional about Sabbath? So this is, in some ways, this is very new to us as well. I'm not preaching as the expert, but as kind of a, just somebody on the journey with you. And here's what we're finding. That Sabbath for us, and for us, I'll explain in a minute, we take uh, really Saturday, but Friday evening to Saturday evening, um, Sabbath requires planning. It requires, requires work to get ready. So we're finding that one of the things we love to do to finish Sabbath is just a really casual, laid-back meal. Easy prep, easy cleanup, not, no pots and pans. We do kind of a charcuterie board and veg- fresh vegetables and things like that. Easy to prepare during, you know, even on, on the day of. But, you know, in order for that to work... We've got to make sure that we've shopped for all of our ingredients in advance, and we've got to make sure we have everything, and we've got to make sure that the kitchen's actually clean so we can prepare it. Turns out we like to um, ride bikes as a family, and Elliot's getting to be a really good bike rider, and we like to, but you know what? So when I spend Friday, my day off, prep, preparing for the Sabbath and getting the bikes ready, Sabbath becomes much more restful because we can literally open the garage door, hop on our bikes, and go. We're not spending half an hour finding somebody's helmet and fixing this and making sure the tires are pumped up and then we're stressed out and Elliot's waiting and you know how that goes, right? When you're trying to, no, if it's, it's, but it takes work. It takes preparation. It takes some measure of rigidity and structure so that the thing can be restful. 
This, by the way, if, if, if you're drawing connections in your Old Testament, and remember, remember how when God gives the Israelites manna, they're wandering, the, and what does he say? And the day before Sabbath, pick, collect twice as much. Do extra work, and it will keep on the Sabbath so that you can rest on the Sabbath. Lastly, we've found, this is just one more example of that preparation, we find we're just a lot more comfortable and restful and loose in our home and relaxed when our house is clean. Probably most of us, right? And so we devote extra time on Fridays to cleaning the house. Not just because it needs to be cleaned, but as an intentional act of preparing for Sabbath so that on Saturday, our Sabbath, we can just, ah, we rest. And so we clean, at least as best as you can clean a house when you have a six-year-old and a one-year-old, right? It's not perfect. I love this. After uh, last Sunday's service, one of you told me how you knew somebody who used to keep, she observed Sabbath on Sundays, and after church, she kept her church clothes on all day because... If she was wearing her church clothes, she wasn't going to be tempted to get on her knees and clean the dust under the couch. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Now, that could be legalistic, too, and I don't know this person, and I don't know their heart. It could be, I may not, but it could have been, and I like to hope that it was, it was an external structure designed to help her to say yes to the rest that God intends in Sabbath. Now, it's going to take some experimentation. You have to figure out what's going to work for you and what's not. And there are rules. But it's just like, imagine you're learning to play the piano. If I were to ask you, if you don't play the piano, no offense to anybody in here, but if you don't play the piano and I were to ask you to come up and just improvise on the piano, it would, it would not sound good. <laughs> but if you do play the piano, and if you've put in the long hours weeks, years, learning your scales. The most tedious, boring work you can do at a piano is to sit and plunk out your scales over and over and over and build those scales into the muscle memory of your fingertips. If you've done that rigid, tedious work, then when you sit down at that piano, you can improvise and play beautifully. In other words, the rules lead to freedom. The structure and the rigidity support freedom. Speaking of freedom, when does it have to be? Does it have to be on Sunday? Probably not. It's, it's not for us. But I will say this, that when we think about timing, both the, the day and, and another common question, like how, does it have to be a full day? That's a lot. Does it have to be a full day? Does it have to be all day Sunday? Let me suggest for most of us, that's probably best. Because remember, Sabbath is about worship. Let my people go so that they might worship me. And it's helpful. We'll talk more. We're going to spend a whole month talking about Sabbath more this fall. We'll talk more about it then. But, but a, a healthy Sabbath has structures of worship built into it. Well, gee, on Sundays, what do we do on Sunday mornings? We worship together. That structure is already built in, so why not take advantage of it? Now, if you have Sundays off of work, that works really well. If you don't have Sundays off of work, that doesn't work quite as well. And then you might have to get more creative, and you might have to pick another day of the week. Or you might have to, what we've found is we take a 24-hour period, but from Friday dinner time to Saturday dinner time. 
And that's, that's actually how more observant Jews observe Sabbath. That's not why we did it. It just happens to work really well with our schedule and our family schedule and work schedule because you know what? Sunday's a work day for me. Sunday is the most exhausting work day of the week for me. So this is not my Sabbath. But yesterday until dinner time was. And even as we learn and practice this more, I wonder if you'll notice how well Pastor Chris practiced Sabbath by how fresh he is on Sunday mornings. Sabbath is meant to give us freedom. It's meant to be a yes to God who has said yes to us. And we pointed out last week, let me just remind you as we start to wrap up, St. Augustine, a theologian from three and 400s AD, points out that um, the seventh day of creation, if you read Genesis 1 and 2, the seventh day never ends. The Bible tells us there was day one and, it, and then it ended. I'm paraphrasing. And day two and then it ended. And then day three and then it ended. And it makes a very conspicuous point of saying days one through six ended, each one of them. And then it says, and then God rested. And that's it. Genesis never tells us that the Sabbath ended as if to imply that we are meant to live lives that are marked by unhurried rest. That God's intent is for us to live lives of deep rest and worship. Now that's been kind of stained. Sin has, has marred that, has scuffed that up. And we feel that. But let me jump from Genesis to Revelation, the end of the story, the end of the Bible, when God assures us he's coming back. And he's coming back to make all things new. All things new. Jesus is coming back to restore an existence of pure rest and worship. And today, these days in this life, not every day is like that for us. We know. We know. That's one of the curses of sin, is that our work becomes toil. It becomes filled with thorns and thistles literally and figuratively. But he's coming to make it right. And he gives us as a gift one day a week where he invites us to live like it's finished. He's going to come back and make all things new. And for one day a week, we get to live like it. Sabbath, at its best, maybe you put it this way, Sabbath is a taste of heaven. It's a taste of the new creation. It's a taste of God making all things new. Amen.